Okay, so today is one of those days that we have an absolutely, I don't even know how to say this, amazing text. I look for superlatives. You know that I'm the king of adverbs and adjectives and L-Y stuff and I-N-Gs. So I am looking for some way to say to you, this is an absolutely amazing text. And I don't know how to fully communicate that. It's so amazing. It's so amazing that some of you will not believe it. It's so amazing that you're going to be going like this. I know this because sometimes I do this. I do this all the time. There goes the Bible again. (laughs) Overselling. You know, you got balloons, bunnies, and butterflies. Blah, blah, blah. Thank you. I'm going to have a hard time believing this. Many of you are going to say that. This text is so amazing that that's what's going to happen. Now, I also thought about this. I said, what if, though, you know, as I was thinking through this, that what if in church history there was this comprehensive, exhaustive, like, poll that covers all 2,023 years of church history that documents the Christian experience? Can you imagine? I mean, the true Christian experience, not the pretend one. The true Christian experience, not the performance-driven one. The true Christian experience, not the times that you have these manic episodes. The true Christian experience. Not a people-pleasing experience. What would it be like? What if, what if there was such an ultimate research poll of 2,023 years of church history that cut across every church age, the ancient age, 0 to 476, the medieval age, 476 to like 1517, the reformational age, 1517 to 1648, and then the modern age from 1648 to present, although some add the postmodern age from 1960 to the present. What if there was a poll that exhausted all the Christians, the Christian experience in all those ages, and you could look at it and it could be documented? What if it cut across every class of people, the poor, the working class, the middle class, the upper class, the rich, the uber rich, the the elite ruling class, all races, cultures? What if it documented the Christian experience of every church tradition, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Protestantism, Pentecostalism, every theological stripe, every doctrinal stripe? I mean, here are just a few. Arminianism, Calvinism, Reformed Covenantalism, Dispensationalism, Lutheranism, Anglicanism, Romanism, Neo-Orthodoxy, Liberal Theology, Liberation Theology, Radical Theology, Progressive Theology, Word of Faith Theology, Emerging Church Theology. Do you know what theologies are? It's, It's the way to see the world. All those theologies are ways. Here's how we want you to see the world. See the Bible. I Googled it. According to Google, there are 4,200 major religions in their traditions. So have fun. What if it documented the true Christian experience of every church leader, every pastor, elder, deacon, staff person, church administrator, missionary, parachurch leader, scholar, seminary professor, all across, you got to see the true Christian experience. And what if it documented every 
spiritual label we've ever given to the Christian life, like everyone that was in the immature adolescent and immature camp, or everyone that's in the spiritual natural carnal camp, or everyone's in the fully faith-filled, devoted, dedicated disciple camp, or not. Everyone that's in the victorious, surrendered, perfected, spirit-filled, anointed, first wave, second wave, third wave camp. And here's the best part of all. Everyone is wired to a lie detector test. And you ask such questions like, what do you really think and feel when you read this text? Sample text. Like, do you believe this text? Is it really clear to your mind and real to your heart and energizing your hands? Eh, lie detector test. Somebody's listening. Do you question God? Do you doubt God? Do you disbelieve God in this text? How about this? Does this text inspire you? Does this text exhaust you? Or does this text terrify you? You're hooked to a lie detector. Does your experience of this text, is it more of an indication of your spirituality, like a true Christian experience, or more an indication of your personality, the way you express and interact with this text, the way you've created a tradition out of this text. Just asking. When you read this text, are you blinded by your church tradition? Are you doing what's called eisegesis instead of exegesis? Are you looking for your meaning or the original historical meaning? Are you cutting against the grain of the text, or are you cutting with the grain of the text, where the text is going? Remember, you're wired, or they're wired to a lie detector test. How about some of the last one? Are you over-spiritualizing this text? In other words, are you manic when you read this text? Are you craving attention when you read this text? Self-importance, fame, money? power, control when you read this text? Do you have an agenda for this text? Eh. Do you know the difference between the law and the gospel in this text? Do you care whether you do or don't? And then lastly, have you lied on any of your previous answers? Wouldn't that be a phenomenal research of the Christian experience. It might comfort some of you, probably all of us. Today's text is an amazing text. It's so amazing that you're going to try to believe it. You're going to be like, I want to believe this. I want this clear in my mind. I want it real in my heart. I want to feel this text. I want to activate this text. I want this text real in my life. I want it. I'm trying. Don't you wish that there was a Bible app that went something like this? You could, it did everything for you. You look up the text you want. You see the text you want. There's a, there's a button by it that says push tab, and it gets downloaded into your life. You connect with the text. Boom, just like that. Phenomenal. Today's text is an amazing text. It's so amazing that many of you are going to believe it for others, but not for you. 
They're so much more connected to God. They're such better Christians. They sin less. They believe more. They do more. They activate God more. They apply more. They do more ministry. They're amazing. I'm not. Today's text is an amazing text. So after the service last week, a guy named Scotty Friesen, do you all know who Scotty is? Uh, he's an elder here. He's a dear friend. Um, he's actually uh, a missionary kid from Peru. Um, he and I had a friendship, and anyhow, he was one of the first to go through, he and Colin, one of the first to go through the the gospel arc training stuff on preaching that experiences Jesus of the Bible. He and his dad are now translating it into languages and training, training Peruvian pastors that are going into the jungles to unreached people groups and teaching and training them how to read the Bible in light of Jesus and experiencing Jesus in all the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's phenomenal. Anyhow, that's not why I bring this up, but that's phenomenal, right? Um, it might not be a bestseller on Amazon, but it's going to the jungles. I'll take that any day. Preach the gospel and be forgotten. Okay, so he came up to me and he says, Hey, during the sermon, I kept thinking about this phrase over and over again. I kept thinking about, here be lions. And I said, what did you say? Here be lions, he said. Here be lions. This text is so amazing that it comes up to every single one of you in this room right now. And I mean you who are a 250-pound, 6-foot-5 MMA fighter, and you who are a 110-pound five-foot female pianist. And you who are a six-year-old, a mom, a struggling mom, every single person here, every Christian here, and some of you are saying, but I'm not a Christian. And I'm saying, so? Become one. Today's the day. This text comes up to every single one of you and says, here be. believe that. I'm trying to believe that. I believe it for you, but not for me. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. So the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a everyone. Lion. Let's look at 3030. The lion, which is mightiest among beasts and does not turn back before any. Just in case you're wondering. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, an amazing text. There's no way to fully humanly communicate this. 
So I thank God that what to say and how to say it comes from you. It's given, it's not taken, it's received, it's not achieved. You say so. You said that to your disciples when you were with them, and it's in your word for everyone that brings good news. So, we want to hear, and we're asking you to roar. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here be lions. Here be lions. I can't believe. There goes the Bible again. Overshooting, right? Bunnies, balloons. I want to say buffaloes, but I knew that wasn't what I said before. But something along those lines, right? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I get it. Thanks, Jeff. I don't believe that. I can't believe that. So let's look at uh, 28.1 up there on the screen. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee, that means run scared, right? When no one pursues. In other words, running scared is not a factor of a situation or a dangerous place or stress. But this particular running scared is in the very fabric and DNA of your very being. The wicked flee when no one pursues. In other words, fear, anxiety is woven into the very fabric of yourself. Now let's continue. But the righteous are bold as a lion. So in other words, courage, bravery, boldness, no fear. It's in them. In them. Woven into their very being. It's their DNA. It's in their cells. This text is saying you can be a Navy SEAL and run scared. This text is saying you can be a six foot five, 250 pound MMA fighter and run scared. This text says you can be a Spartan at Thermopylae and run scared. You can be like Tia Claire Toomey, six-time CrossFit champion. Look it up. I watch those things every year. Amazing. You can be her and run scared in the very fabric of your being, in your very DNA, in your very self. No one wants to run scared when someone's pursuing, right? Do you want to run scared when someone's pursuing? Do you want to run scared when an invader comes into your house? Do you want to run scared when there's a hard relational conflict that's going on, someone's pursuing? Do you want to run scared when it's difficult at work or at school? Do you want to run scared when someone's angry at you? Do you no one wants to run scared, but no one ultimately, even more so, wants to run scared when there is no danger. When no one is pursuing you. When there really isn't any stress and difficulty and hardship. When you just don't fear, you are fear. Nobody wants that. Right? So Proverbs says to us, God says to us, the Bible says to you and me right now, you do believe this text. 
You do feel this text. Everyone in this room experiences this text. You know what this is like. This is not something hard to believe. Right? Here be lions. I'm trying to believe, Jeff. I'm trying. I'm trying to feel it. I'm trying to experience it. I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to activate it. I'm trying to get it into my life. I'm trying. So this text, though, let's put that. Oh, we got it. Good. This text is not about being bad. Do you see this? It's not about being bad. In other words, doing wicked things. And it's not about being good. In other words, doing brave things and bold things. So it's not about being bad. It's not about being good. This text is about two identities. Do you see it? Two beings, states of existence. Two selves, as you will. Self number one, self number two. Being number one, being number two. Two like spheres of life. Two kingdoms. Two ages. Two worlds. Do you see the definite article? That's pointing to two identities. It's not pointing to wickedness, plural. The wicked. It's not pointing to righteous acts, good works. The righteous. It's a state. It's a self. It's a being. It's you. Modern people say it this way. I mean, modern people say the same thing. This is not, this is not new. Everybody knows this. So you want to say, oh, what? this is so strange. This is so... No, everybody knows this. Modern people say it this way. An unhealthy self-image, self number one. An unhealthy self-image runs scared. But a healthy image, self number two, identity number two, is as bold as a lion. Right? That's what modern people say. Now, traditional people say it this way. Shame runs scared. Honor Worthiness, self number two, identity number two, is as bold as a lion. Now, let's not leave progressive people out of this because progressive people say the same thing. Everybody knows this. This is just the way it is. This is how life works. That's what Proverbs is, does best. Proverbs is a book about, hey, y'all, I'm just going to tell you. You already know it, but I'm going to tell you from the outside. This is just the way it is. This is how life works, and you know how life works. And all the belief systems, the 4,200 interpretations of reality, they know it works this way. And they're only good to the extent that they do align with reality, right? So progressive people say it this way. If you don't self-identify self number one, identity number one, you run scared. If you identify yourself as fill-in-the-blank, Self number two, identity number two, you're as bold as a lion, right? Everybody knows this. Can I just give you a side quick note? I didn't know if I was going to say it, and I'm like, ah, this is for free, though. So we know, everybody knows toxic masculinity is canceled, right? We all know that? Okay, just want to make sure. Well, I didn't want to leave the ladies out in my house. And so uh, I didn't want them to be out of the cultural conversation. Do you all remember this? Over, you know, over Christmas. And so the other, you know, while we were there over the holidays, I had this, like, 
oh my word, a eureka moment. I had one of those breakthroughs. I had this aha moment. I had, it was a God moment. It was incredibly like a breakthrough of wisdom. Because in the corner of a conversation, as something that was going on, I think, I don't know if it was to Nancy, I don't know who it was. It was in the course of the conversation. Ty was right there. I know that it was really a moment for him too because he started nodding at the same time I was nodding. And I said something, I heard myself say, well, that's toxic femininity. And for me, the world was set right again, and I could move on, and I just needed, needed to say that. Needed to, I just needed to tell you that today. This text is not calling us to believe more. This text is not calling you to do more. This text is not calling you to trust more. This text is not calling you to feel more. It's not calling you to be less wicked and to be more brave. This text is inviting you to a new self, a new identity. And I want you to know, and this one is for free too, according to the Bible, there are only two identities in the world, the wicked and the righteous. There are no others. There's not a race identity. There's not a political identity. There's not an athletic identity. There's not a musician identity. There's not a hardworking identity. There's not a get or done identity. There's not a success identity. And there's not a failure identity. Here be I believe you, just not for me. There are better Christians. They're more connected to God. They do more, activate more. They do more ministry. They love better. They're just better people. They sin less. They're amazing. I'm not. Proverbs, the Bible, God says to you right now, true. (laughs) You're not amazing. Isn't that awesome to be told that? It really is. It's absolutely freeing to be told you're not amazing. And then false, neither are they. In fact, no one's amazing. In fact, you know, the Bible says over and over and over again, from the very beginning all the way to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, it says this one phrase over and over and over again. In fact, it's said in Isaiah very, very clearly, and then Paul picks it up in Romans at the high watermark of the interpretation of what Jesus has done and what it means for the world. He interprets it this way, and he says it over and over again. No one is righteous. No one is righteous. Not even. Do you remember what Abraham was trying to do? Remember with Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, the epitome of being a wicked city until we learned about Nineveh when we were in Jonah. Remember? And he's like, oh, God, spare it. Spare it if there be 50 righteous. Will you spare it if there are 50 righteous people? God says, certainly I'll spare it if there are 50 righteous people. Okay. And then he goes, okay. He visited. Okay, how about 25? Comes back again. Okay, God, will you spare it if there's 10? Of course I'll spare it if there's 10. He comes back. How about five? God, would you spare the world for one righteous person? And Abraham knew there were none. Yeah, I would, but there are none. No one's righteous. 
No one, no one's amazing. No one, not one. This text is saying it's inviting you to a new self, a new identity, a new kingdom, a new world, a new mode of existence. To have your very being change into something else. And it's called the righteous. How does that happen? So who are the righteous? We've got to answer that, right? Well, let's start with the wicked. Remember, this is an identity. This is a, a, a summary of an existence, a, the very being of somebody. And the righteous is the very being of somebody. So the wicked, they're also called the unrighteous, the ungodly, um, sinners, the guilty, uh, what else is it called? Uh, the condemned, the cursed, the judged, those under the wrath of God. Those are words that are used throughout the Bible over and over again. Now, the wicked in the Bible are this. It's very, very simple. The wicked, and generally, are self-reliant. And what we mean by that, what the Bible means by that, because there's no one righteous, no, not one, what the self-reliant do, though, is they rely on themselves to try to produce that righteousness. See how that works? I mean, this goes all the way back to the garden because remember the first thing that happens, Adam and Eve sin. The first thing that happens, they sin. Sin invades the world. Their very being changes and all of a sudden fear is in the very woven nature of their self and they're afraid and they see themselves in the way they are and what they do is they become self-reliant and they try to cover themselves. They try to produce a righteousness of their own. You see how this works? So the righteous, this is where the righteous are also like what? The godly, the saints, the pardoned, the forgiven, the those set free, the redeemed, the justified, the reconciled. Uh, I don't know. I might have missed something. But what the saints do, what the righteous do, is they're not self-reliant. They're the righteousness-reliant. So self-reliant to try to produce a righteousness or the righteousness reliant, which is you rely on the righteousness. Now, this is a theme in the Bible, and it's all over and over and over again in the Bible. In fact, the righteousness shows up at that moment with Adam and Eve, that moment when they're like desperately trying to establish. They are, they are drowning, and they're thrashing about in the water, desperate to grab some scrap of righteousness and ability to hold on to. Cover themselves some way to produce the righteousness. Somehow, some way. And in the midst of that, while they're trying to cover themselves, the righteousness shows up and God covers them. He clothes them with the righteousness. This happens over and over again in the Bible. It's the story of the Bible. The righteousness keeps showing up. It just shows up. It shows up all over church history, all over the Old Testament, over and over again, so much so that Paul writes about it. He says, look, this righteousness, it keeps showing up. It shows up, he says in Romans 3, but now the righteousness has shown up. <laughs> and he says, no, but it's shown up apart from the law, so it's different from the commands and the instructions and the good advice that we get. It's completely different from that. But he says, but, listen, 
The righteousness, he goes on to say, is being told and bear witness to by all the Old Testament. He calls it the Law and Prophets. You summarize the Old Testament. It keeps showing up. The whole Bible keeps saying, the righteousness shows up, the righteousness shows up. And then he says, and now, finally and fully, it does. Because the righteousness is the person. And the moment that Jesus arrived, the righteousness had finally come. And the strangest thing happens every time the righteousness shows up in the Bible. You know what happens? Here be lions. So I was reading, you know, because I was really now I'm doing a really deep dive and sometimes I get really distracted and it ends up causing all kinds of problems in my schedule. But I started doing a deep dive into lions in the Bible. And I came across this incredibly obscure passage in the Bible. And what's happening is, is that David has these mighty men. Have you ever heard of his mighty men? I think we might look at them when we get to David. But David has these mighty men, and these mighty men do incredible things. One of them had one spear and was surrounded by 800 men, and he killed them all. Another one is said to have taken out two Nephilim. If you don't know what that is, go look at the angels and demons thing on the website and have your mind blown. And then he jumped into a pit and killed a lion with his bare hands. So it was just him and the... I mean, talk about an ultimate cage match. With a lion, no way out. And he walked out. That's the kind of people these guys were, right? These are phenomenal warriors. But you know what's said of them? They're Gentiles. They're the wicked. But there was a righteousness, the righteousness that showed up in the kingdom of Israel under the reign of the David. And when they came to the righteousness, here's what it says about them. Obscure passage from the Gadites. They went over to David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty and experienced warriors, expert with shield and spears, whose faces were like the faces of lions. Here be lions. It's amazing to me. All right, so how do you become the righteous? Let's go to that. What are the righteous? The righteous are the righteousness reliant. They are relying on the righteousness of another, not relying on their own righteousness. You see how this works? All right, so how do you become the righteous? Let's put up 30, 30. The lion, which is mightiest among the beasts and does not turn back before any. See that word mightiest? This is at geber. Do you see that? In Hebrew, it's geber. Do you know that that word geber in the Hebrew, mightiest, shows up all over the Old Testament? Again, I told you I did this deep dive. I got a little lost. And it shows up all over the Old Testament and specifically with a, someone called the Messiah. The Messiah is the Geber. And it shows up in Genesis in the tribe of Judah. In the tribe of Judah, there's supposed to be a lion that comes from this tribe, a Geber. And he's the Messiah. And then you go to Isaiah and it talks about this righteousness that will show up. And it's a Geber. It's a lion 
And then you have the lion, which is mightiest among the beasts, and does not turn back before any. Now watch what Paul does here. Paul says about this lion, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you see it? So here, the lion does not turn back before any. Paul is saying that included your sin. That included the wickedness in you. That included death. That included condemnation. That included hell. That the lion, the ultimate lion, did not turn back. He just went right into it. And then when he was raised, he was raised for your justification because the lion is the righteousness. And now he turns with his righteousness, the ultimate righteousness, the only man who lived a righteous life, and he's God himself, and he turns and says, here, I cover you. I give it to you. It's yours. Here be You will become a lion more and more when you sink into the righteousness. You will become brave and bold and courageous, not hokey, when you sink into the righteousness. When you become more reliant on the righteousness of another and less reliant on your righteousness, you will watch anxiety seep away. You will watch fear seep away, and you will be bold as a lion.